Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Matt Greg-Smith. Matt, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, looking forward to this interesting conversation on a, on a very interesting business that Matt has started and is growing. He's going to share his entrepreneur journey and how he started and is growing, as I said, a business called Swingers, which is a crazy golf club. Now, crazy golf is what the British call what in the States we typically call miniature golf. So it's a business and environment. We're going to share more of the details that he started in London and now currently has locations in London, New York City, and in Washington, D.C. If you want to receive more information about the Howard Business Podcast, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show, get access to my group coaching sessions and online workshops with a Patreon membership, just visit thehowabusiness.com. So a very brief bio for Matt, and then we're going to get right into it and learn about his journey. But Matt is the co-founder and co-CEO of Swingers, Joker. crazy golf club that is uh, the successful competitive socializing format with, as I said, locations in London, New York City, and Washington, D.C. Matt joins us today. I think, are you in London today? Yeah, I'm in London today. Just got back from New York. Got it. So he joins us from London. Matt Greg smith once again, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's start with, as I kind of butchered a little bit the intro, because this is something that I think that most of us, certainly when I was doing the research, can envision it, but only in the fashion and the format that we've all experienced in the States growing up, where we go to this typically either an outside uh, golf, little miniature golf thing, or a really bad version of it inside dead malls. Uh, you see that sometimes as well. This is something quite different. So give us a high level introduction as to what Swingers is. Sure. Well, obviously your uh, listeners will all know uh, the concept of bars and restaurants. And like you say, everyone will have an idea of miniature golf, but imagine if the two things were combined and it was done really, really well. And that's what we hope we've done with Swingers. We've created in the city center locations in spaces that are about 20 to 25,000 square feet, um, a world, an indoor world that feels like an English country golf club. So you walk in off the streets of London or New York, uh, up or down a staircase and find this very immersive theatrical space where we have a number of mini golf courses, uh, which are covered in trees and plants um, and a number of spaces, one of which will often be themed like the clubhouse of an English country golf club full of Chesterfield couches and armchairs. And these are spaces where you can eat, drink and have fun from midday until late. And your typical experience will be coming in, grabbing a drink at one of our bars, uh, perhaps heading off to play your round of mini golf on one of our themed courses. There'll be a DJ playing. There'll be some cool lighting and projections around you. And then after that, you'll go grab some food. And we work with restaurant brands um, in the city that we're in uh, to give a, who have got cool brands that are well known to people that live locally. And you can grab a great burger or some great pizza and some more cocktails uh, and hang out for as long as you want. So 
we coined a phrase for it, which is competitive socializing. It's socializing, but with an element of competition. We've added a, a dynamic that gets you up and away from your table, gets you mixing with your group, gives you something to focus on, give that competitive angle, makes it a little bit exciting. And yeah, it's been about a six, seven year ride, I think, since we uh, got going and people seem to love it, this kind of new way to go out and to have fun. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds wonderful. I haven't had a chance to to get to one yet, but as we were chatting before we started recording, I'm looking forward to having my daughter who lives in Manhattan, where you've just opened not too long ago, a location, having them experience it. It just sounds, the word you used, immersive, I think is is descriptive of it. As I was doing the research, one of the things that was compelling to me right away is how cool the website looks. It's a really unique website. I thought, okay, these people, they've got something here and there's a lot of congruency in the marketing and that was very appealing. So if they're taking that much time and creating this very different visual experience, and then when I see the pictures of the spaces, this is done at a whole different level than certainly we've ever experienced in the States, yeah? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we think about the customer journey from start to finish. So that maybe the first time they discover us on social media, which is one of the big drivers for the business, through to the experience they have on the website, where we want to really kind of tease people, get them excited, but don't necessarily want to reveal the whole experience up front. And then that point where they walk into the venue and they see a concept which they probably haven't come across before and there's a moment where you walk through the door and get this reveal where you you see people go oh wow this is amazing and we we get to play in this very cool space where people think oh i'm i'm going to a place called swingers and it's a mini golf venue it's going to be kind of cheesy and it's going to be kind mm -hmm. of tacky and then they walk in and basically the universal reaction they have is wow, this wow. is really good. This is much better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And it's quite rare in life these days that you get to exceed people's expectations. You know, if you've got a famous chef and he's got a restaurant, then people will walk into the restaurant and perhaps be disappointed from the get-go that the chef isn't there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lots of these things have this kind of big, um, you, you, you get a foresight of, almost most experiences through social media but there's something about coming into swingers where it's bigger and better and better executed than you think it's going to be and so we get to kind of surprise and delight people um, and that's a really exciting and fun thing to be able to do to kind of exceed people's expectations yeah and that's brilliant and such a, a key takeaway for me from a marketing perspective for small business owners because as i said and i've spoken to this point on the podcast before we often see a disconnect either one way or the other. In other words, either the the online presence or the marketing doesn't match for whatever reason, tone doesn't match, or it's selling a different picture than when you actually experience it or the other way around. But, but here, as you said very well, that impression that's made when I experience the brand online is fantastic. It's different. But then from what you're telling me, when I get there, it certainly doesn't disappoint. Um, so we'll explore that a little bit more. But let me take a step back if I could, Matt. I want to just learn a little bit more about your journey. If I got it right, you studied political science and English literature. So what did you think you were going to do with that when you grew up back then? Uh, that is a good question. Um, I certainly didn't think I was going to become a politician. Um, 
I had uh, been gone through high school and then I'd done a interesting scheme with the British Army where um, you got to join the army for just over a year and do this kind of short training, be an officer uh, in the army for 12 months um, and kind of experience all that the army has to offer. And the idea was that they don't run this scheme anymore, but the idea was that you would go out in your into your career uh, post-college and you would become an ambassador for the armed services. So it was mm. this kind of expensive PR scheme that they ran. <laughs> so I uh, went through my training at Sandhurst in the UK and then I got posted out to Canada where the mm. British Army have a massive training base in Alberta uh, near Calgary and they train live battle groups on the prairies so I spent uh, pretty much a year out there uh, was in charge of a troop of uh, soldiers and was involved in these um, big exercises with the British Army so it was this amazing experience and then uh, college came along on the back of that and it felt like a real kind of I don't know come down because mm. I'd been in this military environment and was used to being super active and having these packed days of if it wasn't working then it was going off and do, doing all kinds of adventure training or traveling or various sports um, and then suddenly I found myself um, at college where, you know, probably a lot of people can identify with this. You get your timetable and there's maybe seven or eight contact hours a week and you just have to do lots of reading. And it just felt like a real slowdown. So hmm. I'd, um, I started out doing law initially at university uh, because I thought that's what I wanted to do and rapidly discovered I hated it. So I changed and I, I liked politics and English because their essay writing subjects you get to argue you get to do a mm -hmm. bit of critical thinking but I really didn't know what I was going to do with it I think at the point I started the course I thought I was probably going to go back into the army after uh, college because I'd enjoyed it so much but then while I was at college I got into running my own business partly because I had so much time on my hands and then I guess I'm that sort of person that gets involved in things and so I got involved with running some club nights um, for venues which were empty during the week and wanted students to come in and spend their money. And it grew into a big business from there. And so is that what then triggered a new, wait a second, I think this owning a business thing is what I want to continue doing? Or were you not quite there yet, uh, even then? Um, I don't think it was ever that considered. I got into running these club nights because I think somebody said, oh, a friend of mine said they needed some help. And it was something that my skill set was really suited to. And we were pretty good at doing it. And through the course of that, I met my business partner now. So this is 20 years ago. Um, my business partner now, who's um, called Jeremy Simmons, who's my co-founder and co-CEO on Swingers, and he was running a similar busy, uh, business in the city next to the one I was in. So I was in Manchester. He was in a city called Leeds, also at college. And we ended up putting our businesses together. And together, we were pretty good at what we did and became a pretty formidable pairing and grew it to the point of running about 25 events all around the UK, um, selling about a million tickets a year. And this is while we were still at university studying. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, it was an interesting 
baptism of fire um, to the world of business. And I actually come across quite a few people, maybe more so in the UK, but also in the States as well. Um, business people who kind of cut their teeth doing the this kind of club promotion because it was this way that you could get into business where venues were looking for customers during the week there were these populations of students who wanted to go out and party i guess in the uk it's a bit different because the drinking age is 18 rather than 21 right, so right. you've got these students who who are going out to venues and so all you needed really was the capital to afford a box of flyers and to be able to afford a dj and a bit of creativity to give it a brand and you were off you had you know the bare bones of what you needed for a business and it could be very lucrative if you got it right mm -hmm. and so we really kind of hit our stride and we were hustlers we were running these club nights we were coming out of brands where we, we were liaising with venues and it just kind of clicked and that business lasted us probably a good eight or nine years from there through, um, past the end of our college years and we you know grew it into a properly established business with offices and tax returns and all that sort of thing now did you go from that business to swingers or what happens in the middle there did you ever have a job working for somebody else after university uh the answer to that is kind of so what happened is we were running these club events and in each university city that we were in we had a team of young people that would work for us effectively promoting the business to their peer group that's how we established the cool event in each city and got people to buy our tickets from us and so we had this kind of peer-to-peer -peer, um, authentic grassroots youth marketing network and brands started coming to us saying oh you can effectively reach young people and it was seen as a bit of a dark art at the time mm. um, how to effectively market to the youth market and so brands started coming to us and we developed an arm with that was kind of a youth marketing agency and after a while we got approached by a big communications group who said we're interested in buying you and that happened um there was a big group in the UK called Chime PLC and they placed us into this big ad agency they had. Mm. Um, we, we sat in the London office of this international um, ad agency and there we carried on running the club nights. We handled all of the agency's experiential needs and we developed the youth marketing agency side of it. So we were there for about three years I see. and it was it was great. We um, did our earn out. We learned a huge amount. It kind of professionalized us. Right. But I guess you would say in that period, we were not really working for ourselves. We, sure, we were sure. running a division of a business. And, that yeah, was, and I'm sure yeah. it's part of what you had to do as part of that acquisition in some yeah. regards and then to transition it. Um, but it okay. felt like working for someone else in that. Yeah, stage. no, I'm doubt. So, so for you and your partner, just itching for the right time to move on to the next thing. And how, how do you arrive then at this idea for swingers? We were definitely um, looking to get back to being entrepreneurial and having full control again. And Jeremy and I had this kind of unique experience by this point where we knew nightlife, but we also knew the what was becoming termed as the experience economy. You know, we were handling all of this um, experiential work for the agency and time and time again, 
brands were coming to us and saying, you know, we exist online, but how can you make us exist offline in the real world? How can you create experiences that kind of resonate with our target audience? So we could kind of see the way the market was going. And we looked around in London and at the time you could go and do kind of upscale bowling. I think you could go play ping pong in a, bo- in a bar, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a whole load of kind of activity venues. And we'd had this idea, what if you took mini golf and put it in a bar? But like I kind of said before, made it really good. Yeah. Made it feel theatrical and immersive, created a whole world around it, made the execution incredible, and then added in fantastic F&B, great food and beverage, delicious cocktails, worked with food brands to do the food. We've all been to bowling alleys where the food's been horrendous. What happens if you come to a venue like this and the food's great? Mm-hmm. so we came up with the idea the name swingers because once you've thought of the name swingers no other name <laughs> seems any good after that and of course uh, as i've heard you mention another ep- another other podcasts you don't necessarily want to search just for swingers on google right no you've got to be really careful we once met with a digital agency and they kept trying to pull up our website on the big screen in a meeting room <laughs> and it kept going really wrong it was uh yeah i wouldn't want to repeat that experience but uh yeah the name just clicks and it it sticks in people's minds and so we decided to test the idea having had it um, by doing a pop-up and we how, how long from the idea to pop-up how, how, how much time are we talking about there more or less I say we sat in a coffee shop first discussing the idea in maybe February 2014, uh, and the pop-up launched in September 2014. So, wow, so pretty soon after that, yeah. I mean, our experience at the time was running events, so we just yeah, approached yeah. this like a long event, basically. Like event, we yeah. kind of, yeah, took something that the whole the formula that we would normally employ for a day or a week, and we said, okay, let's see how we can make this last for three months. What's fantastic about this, though, and this is something we talk about a lot, is you took an MVP, a minimally viable product approach, a pop-up approach to this. But it sounds like because of your experience, you probably would not have gone about it any other way, would you? It wasn't about resources even. That's This is the way you would have done it regardless. Is that fair? Yeah, I think we, we weren't at this point looking at it like it was going to be a massive long-term global business we were just thinking this is a great idea we think it's got great legs um let's test it out and this is the obvious way we're we're not going to go sign a lease we're not Mm going to um invest crazy money into it but we think this is good enough to give it a a really good shot and you know the pop-up cost in the region of half a million dollars to Mm, stay so it (laughs) wasn't Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, uh, it was no small fry. So um, that seemed like the very logical step. And we were just lucky that, or because we had this experience in nightlife and events, we had the contacts book to pull it off. Right. And if we'd had the idea maybe five years earlier, it probably wouldn't have gone anywhere. I see. But we knew event producers, we knew alcohol brands, we knew people that could help us find a space. So there was something about the stars aligning. Um, and also it being the right time um, from a customer perspective um, to introduce this to the market. What happens then during the run of the pop-up besides, you know, people coming, that's obviously a, a key part of it, but what happens that leads you to think, you know what, let's continue with this as an idea. I think it was the strength of the reaction. 
So we open this pop-up in 7,000 square feet of space in this kind of leaky warehouse in Shoreditch, East London, which is a very trendy hipstery area. And it's got one nine-hole mini golf course, um, the very first iteration. We have this small clubhouse. It's got some bar areas that um, overlook the course and two street food stands. And so, I mean, when I look back, it was it was pretty basic. Um, but we put it out there and there was something that just resonated with people. It was this sort of very very simple message of come and do this really fun activity this activity that everyone's got some connection with and probably played as a kid on vacation mm -hmm. and while you do it we're going to bring you cocktails and after you've done it you can have one of the best burgers in london and that just was a home run for yeah. it people understood it instantaneously and they messaged their friends and went hey we've got to go and do this yeah. and so the ticket sold out, people came down, they loved it. And so you just know when something's got this energy um, that it's got the legs to go and go. And we were probably two months into what was a, ultimately a five-month run and we were already looking for permanent spaces. We were thinking, wow, we've, we've, we've got to find a way to do this on a bigger scale um, and permanently. And you had, you know, the whole environment that whole immersive environment that has to obviously be something that in particular appealed to you and your partner in other words it i've got to imagine you were proud of what you were delivering even in a pop-up scale and you wanted more of that is that fair too yeah i think we just thought if we're going to do this you know the concept on paper makes sense that you can create this whole world. And we knew it was the way the market was going. We knew social media was becoming a driver. And then we just said, it's got to be good. Like you can't do some terrible sort of mock execution of this. It's got to be delivered really, really well. And I think that's where Swingers ultimately has gone well for us is that we do execute what we do execute the plan. And yeah, when people came in and experienced it, they said, this is really fun. It's not like something I've seen before. And I want to take a photo of it and share it with with my peer group. What made you decide and, and how did you go about validating if you did that it would translate to the US market? I mean, there was definitely a just a load of gut feeling. We just knew that we had this very universal concept. We'd already seen it in the UK as we rolled it out to people that like I said before, it's so easy to understand and it appeals to, you know, the the most simple parts of people's personalities. It's about great food, great drinks, and a fun activity to do alongside it. So it's not it's not the heaviest lift to try and explain it to people or convince people it's something they want to do. It's taking something that they're probably doing anyway in some form, but giving them a better version of it. But we definitely didn't want to be complacent in coming to the US and just assume that it was one size fits all. Uh, we did do a whole load of um, research where we commissioned a research partner that we'd worked with before and went out and did a load of qualitative research where we said to people, we're, we're going to open a place called Swingers. What do you think about that? <laughs> and then they would, in the same way they did in London initially, would say, 
uh, that sounds a bit weird. What is it? <laughs> and then we'd show them photos of us swingers and say, it's this kind of venue. Look how kind of glossy and finished it is. And it does mini golf and it does great food and drink. And people go, oh, okay, cool. And then we'd say, you know, would you go to your boss at work and would you ask for your, if the Christmas party can be there? And people would be like, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So you could sort of, we just tested out all the elements, you know, the music policy, the way the food works. And we got this very universal response that people could totally get their heads around it. So the when we got open in the US, there were more changes back of house than there were front of house. Interesting. But if you if you go into a swingers in London or a swingers in the US, there'll be very obvious design changes where we design it to fit the space, but it'll be a re- very recognizable experience. As far as how uh, how someone gets orders, consumes the food and the drink, is that the part you're alluding to? Just the way you move through the room. I think I what's interesting for us is that if you go to a movie theater or you go ice skating, you kind of turn up knowing how it works. Sure. You know when you go ice skating, you're going to go walk up to a desk, grab mm-hmm. your skates, and at some point someone's going to tell you to get on the ice. Mm-hmm. And we there's have a, there's this There's a thing concession where... stand at the back where I can go and get a, so, <laughs> yeah. a slice of pizza, maybe. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas when people come into swingers, they're like, if they haven't been before, they're thinking, how do I interact with this? How does mm-hmm. this work? So our reception team have quite a tall order because they have about 20, 25 seconds to kind of outline exactly how the flow around the room works. And then we give people a few kind of uh, written resources and they'll obviously talk to other members of staff as they move around. But yeah, you move around the room in between the golf and the food and the bars. um, And perhaps if you've hired out a space, the different areas. And so, yeah, that inherent swingers experience from walking in the door to walking out again will be similar on uh, whichever side of the Atlantic you're on. Yeah, but I can start to see how this particular game of miniature golf lends itself to this format better than 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 like bowling, let's say, or something else. But to come back to these 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 concepts, you know, competitive socializing, experiential leisure. As I was doing the research, it just it's obvious to me. I, I'm ex- seeing that so much a, an explosion in that category as you coined them. You know, from from again the higher end bowling as an example, but you're seeing it. Pickleball is a sport that I've gotten into and is exploding in the States. Do you know what pickleball right. is? Yeah. 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 And, and what we're starting to see is a somewhat similar concept than that. Well, they're starting to build now locations where you go play pickleball, but there's also the restaurant and food experience. Not quite the way you're rendering it, but, but this concept, it sure. seems like this approach to entertainment, to activities, venues, is here to stay. And I'm sure that has to have been part of what you think you tapped into here. Yeah, there's been this growing movement towards, um, yeah, this this experiential way to go out. And I think it's driven by millennials and Generation uh, Z who are looking to maybe not just focus on the food and the drink and maybe uh, older demographics were perhaps, you know, more more interest more focused on the the bar side of things and the experiences had to move beyond it um but also social media has got to have been a massive driver of this um you know you, if you go to a restaurant you can photograph the food and you can photograph your drinks and you can get some shots of the room but 
definitely social media has driven mm. that urge to get up away from the table and to find the most photogenic experience possible. And we really came along at the start of that wave. And so right. it wasn't something we purposefully tapped into. I'd like to take all the credit, but we just <laughs> happened to design some really photogenic venues with this English country theme. And then in the process of that, we found out, you know, a huge percentage of our guests are taking photos and posting them to social media channels to tell their peer groups that they're there. And so you get this huge amount of organic uh, marketing yeah. that happens. And then people not only are aware that it exists, but there's this sort of peer-to-peer -peer recommendation that goes alongside it. You see someone you know and trust is there having fun, enjoying it. And so then you think, well, I should go as well. So yeah, it's definitely a big movement. It's not going away. There's, I think in London, where real estate prices are cheaper than say New York, the market's further ahead because people like us were able to go and sign leases and test out concepts at a lower price point. And so we did it and then other people saw that we'd done it and followed on our heels. And so when we started out for a while, we didn't have that many competitors and now there's a raft you can you can find a bar to go and do pretty much any activity now whether it's i don't know uh bingo or mm -hmm. axe throwing or driving f1 arcade uh, uh driving simulators and that market is definitely slower in new york for example because the rent prices are so much higher right and so we signed the most expensive lease that we've ever signed when we went to new york um and luckily that's paid off and i think there will be people who watch us now in new york and say okay well that's kind of proof of concept and it gives other investors and other concepts confidence i guess the the uh, the main major difference in new york is that there's just a lot less available real estate so right. it's it's a harder market to get into as well yeah no doubt all right, a few rapid fire questions. How how did you launch the uh, that initial pop up about 500k or so as you mentioned? How did you fund that? Was that from your own resources or did you borrow or bring in investors? We myself and Jeremy put some money in when we joined the ad agency, we'd made a little bit of money, so we put that in. We went to some friends and family who were kind of strategic friends and family, I guess, who could bring some insight and help to the business and so they each wrote uh small checks and then incredibly we were able to get some bank debt which now um 10 years on seems insane that a bank would lend <laughs> us some money for a pop-up but back yeah. in 2014 a bank did and so we we got um, a bank loan as well uh to fund it and, when you think back to um, getting that bank loan, do you think it was in part because you all had experience, you had a track record, or did that have yeah, anything I think, to do with it? I think Jeremy and I had been in enough businesses, and then we'd been in this agency. We knew exactly how to present it and I make see. it look like a great opportunity, and okay. I think we were we were pretty investable. The expansion, whatever you can speak to there, how, how is that getting funded? We have a great institutional backer called Kane International. We did our first funding round in the end of 2018, and they've invested a significant amount of capital to date, and they're super supportive of our growth. We obviously had to go through the pandemic. We hadn't opened any sites in the US at that point, but 
we spent the first part slightly scratching our heads wondering if people would socialize in the same way again mm. and whether venues like ours were going to be redundant or sure. uh, still needed but um, our investor was great and they came to us pretty early on in the pandemic and they said we don't think the macros changed people will want to go out more than ever and we need to keep looking for new sites so yeah, we have. And um, is that what you're of, finding? I mean, that's what I'm seeing. I think there's this incredible pent up demand, I think, where people are coming back to it as you as I mean, I think we all got kind of doubted it during it because it was so crazy. But people need this. People need to be able to go to good places to socialize. Right. A hundred percent. People realized in the pandemic how much they value these kind of experiences. And as soon as they were able, they went out and booked for the the good experiences and uh 2022 was fantastic because it was people going back out and being excited to go and have real life experiences and have a have a christmas party which perhaps they hadn't done for a couple of years so there's been this real kind of energy to experience real life real world um activities and that's definitely continuing in 2023 and so that's why we're that's why we're opening more venues. Yeah, exciting. All right, the revenue model, I think I understand it. Obviously, I, I as the the consumer, the, the visitor, pay a fee. I'm buying liquor. I'm buying uh, uh, food. Uh, so there's that fee. on. I think you said you partner with food providers. So is that a revenue share model? How, how does that work at a high level? Yeah, exactly. We um, go to a couple of really well-known food brands in the city that are loved and offer the right kind of food. And yeah, we provide them with a um, ready-made audience, essentially, of corporate and kind of non-corporate customers, I guess. And yeah, they supply some chefs and they put together for us a great menu. Um, but it's an easy lift for them in so far as they're not having to do any marketing. They just have to fulfill the orders. Um, and yeah, we share the revenue. Yeah. What I love about that is that, well, first of all, even if it's just a perception from a marketing perspective, you're probably selecting brands that already have a positive reputation in that market and you're leveraging their expertise, right? You probably could do it just as well, but the perception from the customer is that, Oh, it's, you know, X, Y, Z burger or whatever it might be. I already know that they're good. Is that part of the thought process? Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, we ultimately, we want every element of swingers to be standout. So you've got the activity, you've got the drinks program, then you've got the food. And we want people to say, oh, wow, not only can I go and have those cocktails and play mini golf, but I also get to have a... XYZ burger, which is one of my favorites. Um, and I can <laughs> I can do all of these things mm -hmm. under one roof. So yeah. it's that kind of abundance of choice um and that kind of stamp of credibility as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure it also helps with, as you alluded to earlier, because this is a new concept, it helps me with the uh deciding to to give it a chance to try. Well, at least I know I'm gonna get a good burger to continue with that, exactly. that example. Yeah. Um, is the business profitable now? Yes, it is. Excellent. Uh, if you think back, especially, you know, someone who might be listening, who's thinking about starting a similar type business, not maybe not at this scale, but there's a lot of people looking to start, you know, a food establishment that has, like we just talked about, some entertainment component. 
when you think back to those early surprises, is there something that you now, when you get asked by someone that you advise to think about or to anticipate? I think it's just be really clear who your addressable market is. I just come across a lot of people who are starting businesses. They might be creating an app. They might be creating a service or product. And sometimes you just think, who's that actually for? Just because you can see a niche in the market or you can perceive a need, is that something that deserves to be built into a business do you have a big enough addressable market for your business to become a success so it's take that time figure that bit out are there enough people out there who are actually going to put their hand in their pocket and pay for your service or sign up for your app or whatever it is so you it's kind of removing just a slight element of vanity i guess where you don't think of it from your own perspective. You go out and you work out exactly who is going to be your customer and why they're going to be your customer. Yeah, great advice. And I think that one of the ways that we do that is the pop-up approach, isn't it? Yeah, that certainly taught us a huge amount about the product that we were ultimately going to roll out. But it just gave us this confidence that we were onto something and we were doing the right thing. And it helped us take other people along on the journey. What's next for Swingers? What uh, what do we look for next? We have our next location opening in early March, which will be in our second one in DC, in the Navy Yards area part of the city. Uh, it's an incredible location. I think it's our biggest one yet at about 25,000 uh, 25, square feet. I was there last week and the fit out looks incredible. It's got this kind of English pub and fun fair theming through it so we've um given it a slightly different theme because we already have the english country golf club um in the city in dupont circle mm-hmm. uh, so we're really looking forward to getting that out and then we're just developing a pipeline of the openings that will follow because there's yeah there's so many cities in the u.s and beyond where we know swingers will resonate and people are asking us to bring swingers so we just want to get it out there and uh, open it up to even more people. Exciting. What is the website again? It's www.swingers.club. And I'll have a link to that as well in the show notes page, but check out the website. If nothing else, if you're not in a city yet where you can get to a swingers, it really is a compelling website. I really enjoyed perusing it. And then as we had talked about, I'm going to hopefully have McKenna, my daughter and her boyfriend, Colin, go check out the location in New York. Yeah, get them come in and give us a review. Absolutely. We'd love to have them do that. And then we'll, we'll, I'll share that experience, which I'm sure will be positive on a, on a future episode. Uh, I had asked you, we, we had talked about before starting recording recommendation for a resource and, and you mentioned networking, the importance of having a network of people. Just touch on that for a moment, if you would, Matt. Yeah, I think it almost goes back to that point I was making before where if we'd had the idea for swingers, five years or 10 years earlier than we actually did, we probably would have struggled to pull it off Mm, because putting together the pop-up was quite complex and we needed event producers and alcohol brands and marketing experts. But there was, we just, we'd experienced enough in our um, previous business where our contacts book had the right people in and we were able to do it. So that network of contacts around you is, you know, it can be hard to build up and, but if you 
apply yourself to getting out there, meeting people, talking to people. Obviously, places like LinkedIn and uh, various other social networks are incredibly helpful. Those people can really help you. And it, they don't have to be people that give you a lot of help, but there's lots of problems when you start a business or at any stage of a business that you have to solve and figure out. And if you've got people who you can just tap up and say, hey, can you recommend a contractor or can you tell me how you do this? You can save yourself huge amounts of time by talking to someone who's been there and done that and is willing to share their wisdom with you. So, yeah, the my go to resource is always my network. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. Great advice. All right, well, we'll ramp it up. And, and the thing that I'm getting to here is what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation you had, you know, had highlighted a moment ago, validating the market and therefore, and related to that, the value of, of starting with a pop-up if possible, the network of people you just shared. What else do you, you think you want us to take away from this conversation? If I'm listening and thinking, I want to start a business similar to this or any business for that matter, what would you want us to take away from this conversation? I think I'd just say, if you've got an idea and you think it can go somewhere, then you can do this. Go out, test it, do the work. I, when I was at high school, was always told that I was terrible at maths. I went to this, I guess it was um, a fairly competitive school, um, but they, they told me I was terrible at maths. And as a result, I kind of, and I, I was in the bottom bottom set group for um, some of my exams. And I always just felt like, business was something that wasn't available to me because really I guess because I couldn't do trigonometry and algebra as well as some of the other people and then you get through it and you realize that actually business is you know about adding and subtracting and knowing what's left on the bottom line and I don't know there's there's a lot of noise out there on LinkedIn and social media where you see these founders of businesses who are getting up at 5am and they are doing yoga and they are uh, <laughs> living their best life and they're setting this incredible example for the rest of the world. But it, it really isn't like that. If you think you have a good idea and you've got the determination and you're willing to go the distance and put in the hard work, then you can do it. And it's there's no such thing as an overnight success. Even the things that look like they're overnight successes probably took years to get to. But yeah, have the self-belief, go out and do it. And it'll probably be the most rewarding and fun experience you ever have. Agreed. Well said. Thanks for sharing that. Appreciate that. Tell us again where to go online to learn more about Swingers. Yeah, you can find out about Swingers, the crazy golf club at www.swingers.club. Matt, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for sharing, being so transparent and, and the inspiration of what you've shared today. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Matt Greg-Smith. I release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.